I'm going to go a little bit away from my usual no media sort of stuff. I'm a bit of a no tech kind of person when it comes to preaching, but not today. Today is not that day. Um, can you put, um, yeah, thanks, Luke. Who's this guy? Exactly. Who's this guy? In, exactly. What do we notice in common? What's, what's, what's super common with this guy? With all these pictures? He has beautiful long flowing hair, straight from like Pantene commercial. Blonde and fair. Great. Exactly. He's blonde and fair. That top middle one looks like me in my younger days. Really? I thought, <laughs> I thought you were more the, the caricature parky. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, like, so, so these, are the, these are common pictures of Jesus that we have in our, in our Western culture, aren't they? It's like what, when we think, all right, imagine Jesus in our mind. Like, that's kind of the pictures that we think of for some, for some crazy reason. I'm going to stand over here and talk to you guys because it's way out of balance with uh, the people sitting here. Um, this, is, this is mainly who we think of when we, when we think of our, you know, what, Jesus, what does Jesus look like? He's like this white, Caucasian-y looking guy. He's got long flowing hair. He's got that sort of, pensive gaze off into the middle distance. And he's just generally tends to be a really good-looking bloke. Yeah? This is how our cultural... We, we like to envisage Jesus this way because Jesus is important to us, so we want other people to think that he's important by showing him a certain way. Okay, so in 2000 uh, to 2001, there was a team of... Uh, I suppose their, name, their term is like forensic anthropologists with some, and working with some Israeli archaeologists, so many ists, anthropologists and archaeologists, uh, they did a bit of a study. And they went around to, uh, like around Jerusalem and tombs and stuff of the day, dug up a whole heap of skeletons and skulls, dating back to the first, early sort of first century, like around the time when Jesus was around, to try and work out what a Semite, Galilean Semite looked like. So you can see where we're going with this, hey. So they dug up this bunch of skulls. They sort of averaged the proportions and sizes and bone densities and everything as these skulls with a whole bunch of 3D modelling, similar to what uh, you know, law enforcement would do on victims. You know, say they find some corpse half rotted away in a river somewhere and they want to see what that person looked like. This is the same sort of technique that so they'd employ. So, you know, looking at bone density, muscle thickness, lengths, etc., and then that's the underlying muscles, then working up to try and work out, you know, then that shows how wide your nose is, how thick your lips are, all these sorts of things. Building this whole picture of this Semite man up. And then they went to pictures of, like, ancient pictures to get skin tones and hair types and those sorts of things, ancient art. And they came up with this. Can we go forward a couple of slides? Come with that. Now that, let's, we should be clear, that's not Jesus. No one could find Jesus' bones. Okay? That's not Jesus. But you have to agree that this guy looks a whole lot more like what Jesus actually looked like than our Western sort of depictions of him. Yeah? And then, so the skulls that they found, the skeletons, the rest of the skeletons that they found, with those skulls, they wound out that they, he was probably only about 150 centimetres high, smidgy over five feet maybe. Probably really weathered from working outside in the sun. 
30-something years as a tradie, probably a lot more bulked up than I was. And so, you know, and that is in contrast. Like, you open any sort of kid's Bible, what's Jesus? He's long, slender, he's taller than everybody else around him. Hmm? See what I mean? Got this weird picture of Jesus from somewhere. How did we get it? So, say if you were a Christian and for some reason you wanted a picture of Jesus at your desk at work or in your house or whatever, which picture are you going to put there? Are you going to put one from the first slide or are you going to put this dude there? Because he looks a whole lot more like Jesus would have looked like. What are you going to put up? Or say, like, let's put it in more modern terms because people tend to not have pictures of Jesus at their desk anymore at work. <laughs> Last I checked, anyway. Um, say Netflix or HBO or you know Stan or Amazon or one of these big production companies came to you and you were a famous, you know, producer, director or whatever, and they doot, 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 back this truck up full of cash and just dumps it in your your backyard and said, "Make us another Jesus movie." Who would you choose to act Jesus? Would you choose an Indigenous Australian to act Jesus? Yeah? Or not? Hmm. See, we've got this culture where image is everything. Like, you, you know this from Instagram, Facebook, you know, all these sorts of things. Image is everything. Like, the amount of money that we spend just to keep up a certain image to other people around us. Image is so much in this world. And it affects us because generally we are less comfortable with having a less handsome Jesus. Why is that? Has our culture played on what Jesus should look like? See, we've got this weird thing down in our conscious where we, uh, we have a way of sort of... Um, what, how, how we perceive someone's appearance drives what we think of that person. Like, you can probably think of a time uh, of when you met a person for the first time, you saw a person, you made all sorts of judgments about that person. Uh, you, you thought crazy things about that person. And then as you, maybe you got, had the chance to get to know them a little bit more. And then as you got to know them, you worked out that pretty much everything that you thought about them or everything that you sort of assumed, most of it was just untrue. I've got a really good mate like that. We started out... <laughs> Camille knows who we're doing that. Most, a lot of you guys know him. <laughs> we started out... I started out thinking he was all sorts of crazy. Okay? But it wasn't until I got to know him and understand him and let him into my life you know, that I, yeah, was completely, I, I realized that I was completely wrong. Okay? And I'm sure many of you can think of people in your life that are like that as well. So um, we apply that to Jesus as well. So just before we get going here and look in the passage, um, I just want us to make this, this point clear. Like we apply this to Jesus as well. Like we assume all sorts of things about him. And it's not until then we, in humility, come to him and envelop him into our life, get to know him better, and let him challenge and change some of those preconceived ideas of him that we'll actually really get to know him. So, it's possible, actually, probably for us, like if we don't allow him into change our assumptions of him, it's probably very possible that we can claim it, we can, be a, we can say we're a Christian, we can come to church, we can read the Bible and everything, but we can be blind to really who he is. Yeah? So let's open up. Um, we're going to see where this blindness is cured, hopefully, at this focal point where we see the true Jesus. Um, hopefully we get to there today. So let's grab your Bibles if you've got them. If you don't, that's, a, that's okay. I'm going to read it, um, all the relevant bits out for you anyway. 
Um, but uh, Luke chapter 24. So what's happened here in Luke chapter 24? What's the back story? So the death-breaking resurrection has happened. That's what we, we believe. Like Jesus has risen from the dead. He's broken over death, okay? But we're going to focus in on two characters here in this passage. And, we're going, and I'm going to call them support cast disciples because they're not any of the major two, the major 12, sorry. Um, for, the, for these two support cast disciples, uh, all this sort of hasn't hit home yet. Like, what's Jesus raised from the dead? Like, there's rumors. Like, the last they heard, Jesus, they saw Jesus killed and crucified in a really messy, gory way. And they've heard rumors that his body's gone missing or something, there was some rumor about some women seeing an angel or something, but they're not really sure what to believe, okay? So let's pick up the story, and we'll start in verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, so this is resurrection day, okay? Two of them, two of them, were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, so as we said earlier, these two aren't part of the 12. Luke seems to think they're still disciples because he's just finished talking about Peter at the tomb and then he's like, and two of them. Okay, so he's sort of call, like calling these two in as disciples. Two of them were walking along this road to Emmaus. This random town called Emmaus, like we don't really even hear much about it. Okay. And could you imagine the state of these two? Imagine the state, like what's going on in their heads for these two? Like they've, they've probably, as disciples of Jesus, they've probably thrown everything in to follow him. They've probably like left their jobs or whatever else. They've probably seen, okay, this guy's the real deal. I'm going to follow him. They've probably sold a fair bit of their stuff to support Jesus' traveling ministry. They've probably done that as well. Um, and they've, they've, they've really bought into this notion that this Jesus of Nazareth guy, he's the Messiah. He is going to, what was their hope? Israel. Yes, exactly. He's the hope that Israel is going to be restored. Israel is going to be its own like sort of sovereign nation now. Like we're going to throw off the shackles of Rome. It's going to be great. So they've bought into this idea. They followed him around for years. And then just about a week ago, a week ago from this story, like in the past, from this story, they've rode into Jerusalem ready for Passover. Passover, we'll get to that in a sec, but they're, they're thinking Passover. Okay, Passover, that's where we remember that we were delivered from, from Egypt. Okay, that's good. All right, so this is the Messiah coming in to Passover. That means we're going to be delivered. Um, wow, I think, I think something's going to go down. We're coming into Jerusalem. It's, yeah. We're going to bash some Romans, okay? This is, this is the time. Our time has come. Like, these guys are amped for this. Like, the, a revolution in their mind is going to break out. Like, Jesus is going to free them. He's going to redeem Israel, which in their mind, freeing them from Rome. He's going to, he's going to break us free from Rome with mighty words and deeds. He's going to do all this stuff. <laughs> Here it comes. Here it comes. And then in the space of a day, well, and a night and a day, Jesus is arrested, tried, murdered, and buried. What do you do with that? That, that wasn't supposed to happen. 
that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't meant to go this way. Like this is, this is Passover, man. Freedom was meant to be coming. It, it, this, this was not meant to go this way. And then to make matters worse, they, they, they hear that some, someone's done something with his body and like, they're not sure what to believe. There's, there's just these weird rumours flying around. This guy that we invested so much in is gone. What do we do? So I think these two are just feeling, well, disillusioned, confused, disappointed, you know, name your word, cheated on, and they're off, okay? They're, they're, gonna, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going out into the countryside, this, this Emmaus place. They're just trying to get away from it all. Out into the countryside, maybe they're heading back home, or maybe they're going back to a place where Israel fought off its foreign invaders about 200 years earlier. Maybe they are. See, 200 years ago, from roughly 200, about 195 or whatever it is, years from this point, the place of Emmaus was the site of a battle. So, bit of a history lesson here, okay? Press rewind on the tape, we'll go back. Uh, after Alexander the Great, his kingdom was divided into four. There's a Seleucid Empire and a Ptolemaic Empire. They're the two sort of where, so Ptolemaic was like down here, Egypt, I should do it this way for you guys, down in Egypt, and the um, Seleucid Empire was up near Syria and places. And Israel, this was this area in the middle that they kept fighting over. So the Seleucid Empire, they tried to just take it. Like, this was Antiochus. There's a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus IV, he just came in and took it. He rode, he was this really aggressive kind of dude. He didn't have much time for the Jews. He rode into this new rebuilt temple. He built an altar to Zeus there, and he killed a pig on it. Oh, that doesn't go down well in Jewish world, does it? Not when you're killing a pig on an altar in their temple. It's terrible. So this inflamed them. This was a massive desecration to the Jews. And so the Jews then rallied behind this guy called Judah, Maccabee, and his four brothers, and they drove out this Seleucid Empire, the Syrians. They drove them out, rallying behind this Judah Maccabee guy. And... This and one of these major battles where they took their nation back, one of these major battles was at Emmaus, the Battle of Emmaus. It was one of these places. And so what better place, like if you think that the Messiah has come and the Messiah uh, was going to free you, what better place to sort of, when you've lost all hope, to go back to a place where it seemed like God actually did help chuck out the foreign invaders? Maybe that's what's going on with them anyway. Maybe that is what's happening with these guys. Anyway, knowing that random bit of history, all right, um, see these guys, culturally they believe that, uh, well, as, as was the, in the ancient days, I suppose, the history of um, the nations was that if, if you were to take over another nation, if you were to invade it or free yourself, you need a bigger army. Okay, and that's culturally what they understand. They need this bigger army to throw out the invaders. That's what happened at this Battle of Emmaus. And so when the guy that you thought was going to free you from the Rome, he's just gone and killed himself, then you're pretty much without hope, aren't you? Very disillusioned. So that's where these guys, I think, are, have ended up. So they're punching out. Their Messiah seems to have failed them. 
And they don't appear to be viewing Jesus for what he really was. Okay? They did. Like, Moses, he freed us from Pharaoh and he died. Okay? Judah Maccabee, he freed us from the Seleucid Empire and he died. This Jesus got, uh, he died. Um, let's move on to the next guy, okay? They've run into a cul-de-sac and they just got to go around at the dead end and go find another road to freedom. It's just the way they're thinking. Anyway, that's a bit of backstory. Let's go into verse 15. Let's keep reading. These guys have not understood how dying could be victorious. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Hmm, I wonder what's keeping their eyes from recognizing him. Anyway, verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And I, <laughs> this, is, this is so cool. I love this bit because this is, this is these two disillusioned disciples, okay? They're on the road, they're running away, like everything's just gone to pot. They're, the Messiah turned out to be a dud in their minds. Um, and they're just running away and disappointment. And Jesus, Jesus just sidles up to him as he's like, hey, what you talking about? And these two just stop, you know, walking and they just stand still looking sad. Oh, sad. Picture says a thousand words, hey. And then one of them, we're told his name is Cleopas, one of them says to Jesus, are you serious? You don't have any idea what happens in, what just happened in Jerusalem in the last few days. You've got no idea, like, have you just been living, did you just crawl out from under a rock today? Or have you, you got no idea. Okay, right, well, there was this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He looked to be amazing. He did great deeds, great words in front of God and the people. But then the chief priests, rulers, they had him killed and had him crucified. Here's where I want us to get to, though. Verse 21. This is Cleopas still talking. He says, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. All right. So their hope that they had placed in Jesus was secured in him being the one to redeem Israel. Now, in Jesus' mind, when he went to the cross and he died, was he redeeming Israel? That's right. And in fact, he redeemed the whole world. But did they think he redeemed Israel? No. Why not? Because... Redeeming, like, redeeming a nation from their perspective is you roll in with the tanks, you roll in with a bigger army, you crush the, you know, you crush the other army, you kick them out. That's what they understood. How is getting yourself killed victorious? How? How is getting yourself killed victorious? This is the disconnect here. So why were they sad? They're hoping Jesus was that he would free them from their Roman occupation, okay? That's what they wanted. That's what culturally they were led to believe. That's what culturally, that was their picture of Jesus, that he was going to come, he was going to free them from the Romans. Okay, so their picture, of, it fits in with their cultural expectations, but it's completely different to what the real Jesus was trying to achieve, what he was trying to accomplish in his task. That's why they're disappointed in Jesus, okay? It's, it's different 
to what they thought they want, but what they wanted. Okay? They didn't see Jesus' crucifixion as this great victory because they didn't allow Jesus in to inform their views. They just kept their cultural blinkers on and they just wrote their preconceived ideas over the top of Jesus okay? and wanted him to conform and do stuff that fitted their narrative. Yeah? So you say they'd, they'd overwritten this idea of Jesus, the saviour of the world, the Messiah. They'd it written over just with like a cheap sort of military like freedom fighter. That's what they thought of Jesus. They were really blind to who he really was. They were blind to what he was trying to accomplish. They were blind to the whole scope of what he was wanting to accomplish. And I think this fact that they don't recognise him physically, like these, these guys, they would have hung out with him. They saw him so much. Yet they've got no idea who this dude is. They don't recognize him. I think the fact that they don't recognize him is because they don't really understand who he was. Like Moses, he freed him and he died. Okay. Judah, Maccabee, he freed us and he died. All right. These freedom like fighters, these messiahs, these people that save us and free our nation, they just die. So this Jesus, whether he was or not, he just died. And that's it. People don't come back from the dead. That's why I don't think they recognize him. Maybe, maybe he's just like, well, there's something familiar about you. Like your eyes are kind of familiar. Do you have a brother? <laughs> Jesus, do you know him? Like, there's this guy called Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know him? Maybe a cousin. You know, he's, maybe, they just think he's like a familiar looking doppelganger, maybe. But anyway, this is where the rubber hits the road for us, okay? And I want us to tie in those pictures of, oh, wow, we still got him there. Yeah, cool. Um, this is where I want us to tie in those pictures that we had of what our culture, what we culturally think, the, the, dis, the difference between these guys and the difference between that other guy that's been up all that time. I want us to tie these together, okay? Because we as, like, okay, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, then I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. If you're not, then like, let's, let's discuss it later. Um, but we as followers of God, like, every, like all the other followers of God through the whole Bible, okay, we've read our own preconceived ideas onto and over the top of Jesus. Like we, we invent his purpose for ourselves. We invent his purpose for ourselves and we end up disappointed in him. We end up disillusioned in him uh, because he doesn't accomplish what we thought he should accomplish. He doesn't do what we thought he should do. And it's not until like we get to that point, and I haven't got here myself, so I'm like I'm in the boat with everybody else here, really. It's not until, as I see it, from my point in life and my understanding of Jesus, it's not until in humility where we open ourselves up to Him and His story and His identity and let Him challenge and change our perceptions of Him that then we truly start to see Him. All right. See, the disciples' eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus because their hearts weren't tuned into who he was. I think that's what, that why they really didn't see him. And I think we don't recognize Jesus is because like, we haven't let him to challenge, we haven't let him in to challenge and change. Like, really? Like, we've got those things, those strongholds where we hold on to and we've got like white knuckles. We are holding onto them so tight. Jesus, you are not going to change this. Okay, we haven't let him in to really let go. We haven't really let him in to change those perceptions about us. So we are still blind to really who true, true Jesus is. And I'm challenged myself in this viewpoint in that 
sometimes me, I as a Christian, and I'm probably going to apologize for this as well, is that I write, I, I think, okay, I'm a Christian, Jesus should have my view, I've, my view's the right view, okay? Everyone else is wrong. Jesus is for me, I've got the right idea. Every, everyone who disagrees with me is wrong. We do it so much, okay? Now, this is an in-house critique, okay? So if you are not a Christian, don't take this as a, as, a, as a critique. But for those of us that claim this name of Jesus, if we claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, then this is for us, okay? We read this into our lives all the time with politics, right? Christians love doing this in, in politics, okay? How could, how could someone with that view, how could someone with that political view be a Christian? How could, how, mm, you can't, you can't think that and be a Christian. Like, burn in hell, you libtard, or something. You know? The, the stupid things that some of us say. All right? Or we, we, and we do this in, like, in-house debates, like, around doctrine and stuff. We're like, how could, how could someone who believes that be a Christian? How could someone who believes that be a Christian? And then we go, whoa, burn in hell, you heretic. Okay? This is when we, we distance, we call out, we, 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 we harshly judge. Like, obviously, there's a right and a wrong. Obviously. Obviously, there's right and a wrong. But are we so sure that every single aspect of those little periphery parts of what we believe are perfectly right and in alignment with God's good and just and perfect ways? Really? Anyway, that's something deep for you guys to consider um, and just mull over and maybe just challenge yourself with as you come up against those really judgmental thoughts that come to your mind because I know mine do as well. Like, do we really, this is what I think of, like, how is my heart? Do I, is it full of greed? Yes. Um, What am I doing to um, love those people that Jesus called the least of these? You know, that image, the way that we we act and how we treat them is how also we treat Jesus. Like, man, that is deeply convicting. So look look into that through the week. But let's continue on with undercover boss Jesus, okay? So they're walk, still walking along the road. They're discussing everything that's happened in the last three days. Um, you know, Jesus' body's gone missing. There's some crazy rumors swirling around. Like, apparently someone saw angels. It was bizarre. And these women said this, and this man said that. And it's, it's, it's a wild world out there. The world is a different place. Yes, it is. <laughs> After Resurrection Day. Um, but, you know, th- this is what they're saying these last three days when they're telling Jesus about all these things. And then Jesus, obviously, he can see how deeply they uh, misunderstand the true him and that they're actually really kind of blind to actually who he is and that they're, they're just disappointed in their own, like, sort of invented version of him. He says in verse 25, Guys, guys, guys. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Oh, fools. <laughs> <laughs> And slow of heart, well, the equivalent, I suppose, guys, 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 if we want to water it down. But no, he, called, he says, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, Old Testament overview 101 with Jesus as your study group leader. Good or bad? <laughs> Pretty good, eh? Um, way better than like Bible Project. I know a lot of us love that. 
and it's a great resource, absolutely get into it, but this would have been so much better. And we have tried to do this with the mega series, and um, yeah, we'll get back to finishing it one of these decades, I suppose. Just you wait. So anyway, Jesus has filled the mind here of these two disciples with everything about him. All right, they've got the real deal. They've got the full story, okay? They understand the whole Old Testament, fulfillment of laws, foreshadowing of him through the prophets, like the meta-narrative of the world's story, God's story, God's people, how Jesus fits in and shows it all. Like, they've got all that, all right? This is completely downloaded into their minds. Okay, they've, they've completely, they understand all this. They've, they know where Jesus fits in. Are their eyes open yet? No. They still don't recognize him. So you can go to Bible college forever and still not get Jesus. They still don't get him. Their hearts are still so wrong of these wrong assumptions of him and wrong assumptions of who he is, they remain unable to see him. They've, so they, they, need, they need some sort of trigger, some sort of spark to open their eyes so that they can actually see him. For it to all this sort of stuff, like imagine it's kind of like a, like a house of stacked cards. Like it's all there, ready to do something, but it just needs a trigger. It's kind of like, for it all to come down, it just needs one little thing pulled out and then it all makes sense. All of it's like, it all condenses. So anyway, they continue along the road and they get near to Emmaus and Jesus acts like, I'm sorry, I'm really, really hot. I'm, I had to wear a black shirt today, so I didn't, wasn't doing the parky. I'm, I'm melting up here, so I'm sorry if I'm... Yeah, oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anyway, they continue along the road, and I wish I could come to a nice, cool motel uh, pool like these guys came to now. No, probably not. <laughs> they continue along the road, and they get to where they're going, so they've got to this Emmaus place where they said they were going to go. They get there, and then Jesus is like, yeah, I've got to go play that game. For my own place to stay. And they're just like, nah, man, it's late. Just thanks for teaching us everything. Just, just stay with us, man. Just look, we're mates now. You look like that guy that we knew. We're as good as friends. Just, like, just stay with us. And Jesus is like, hmm, nah. No, I really should be going. Okay. Okay, you convinced me. Okay. So he comes in and they're sitting down to eat. All right, now here's the crunch. Here we go. Verse 30. When he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. (laughs) Jesus. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So there was something going on there. All right? They were getting it a little bit like, oh, there's something about this guy. Verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11. So that's the original disciples minus Judas because he offed himself. Um, the original 11 who were with him and they were gathered together and they're saying, the Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon um, and they told him everything that had happened on this road to Emmaus and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of bread. 
Now I know I drummed this up to say, hey, look, let's get to this focal point and let's understand it, but I'm still struggling to understand this myself. So here's what I've got. Here we go. Um, this right, like, in just trying to work this out, like this, the right view of Jesus has just come into such sharp focus for these guys just through this simple task of breaking bread. Like we do it every Sunday. Like it's just over there, broken. How, how do we see Jesus through that? Like these guys didn't see Jesus when he was talking with them. They didn't see Jesus when he was walking with them. Like they maybe looked familiar or something. Maybe like their hearts are, something's going on here, but they still didn't see him. All right, they didn't see Jesus even when they had everything explained to them. Full explanation, but it's this simple thing of breaking bread that Jesus, everything about Jesus made sense. So, let's go back a few days earlier. Whether these guys were there or not, I'm not sure. Or maybe they heard about it. A Passover meal is happening in an upper room. Okay? Jesus is there with his disciples. Whether these guys are there or not, I'm not sure. But some of the other 12 might have told them. But this Passover meal, Jesus takes it and he sort of rearranges it in a way to make this memorial meal that we remember him in. And we continue it today, like we'll do it straight after this. Like it's continuation as we're told to remember Jesus this way. So at that Passover, symbolically Jesus is the Passover lamb um, and but then in this breaking of bread when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it in order for these disciples to get the sustenance from the bread out um it needed to be broken open and ingested into them. Right? They needed to, it needed to be broken, break, broken, ripped apart, and put inside them. And in, the deepest parts of their body for their then body then to take the energy and the sustenance and everything out of it. So in order for the bread to give life, it's got to be destroyed. Okay? So in the symbol of broken bread, we see a God who confronts and who defeats his enemies by letting his body be overtaken and beaten and destroyed by his enemies. That's the picture of this bread that we see. We see this picture of Jesus, this God who's going to confront evil. He lets evil overtake him and destroy him. How did you defeat evil in the world previously? Like these guys, what do they think? Okay, evil... Well, you get a bigger stick and you beat that evil. You make it worse. Like you, you come back with more force. That's the way the world works. That's the way the, that's, that's their normal understanding of the world. But Jesus is introducing this new, weird, crazy element of this coming kingdom. Like his kingdom is the fact that, okay, to defeat to your enemies, you lay down your life for them. It's crazy. No wonder they didn't get it. But in this picture of broken bread, it's, that's where we see it. And in that moment of imagery, all that everything from the Old Testament is just like, whoa, this Messiah makes sense. And then they see him and he's gone. So the difference is really stark between the world where these guys are viewing Jesus and the coming kingdom that Jesus is looking out of, of where he is coming from. Okay, there's this real crazy dif- distance. 
in the difference, sorry, distance, difference. In their world, okay, if you want to, if you want to redeem a people, like redeem a people, you get a bigger army, you get a more powerful empire with a bigger army and you free the people. In Jesus' kingdom, to redeem a people, you allow the worst of that people to overcome and destroy you. In our world, the first is first in, best, best dressed, exactly. First to invent something like Facebook makes you billions of dollars. It gives you power, it gives you wealth. Like in this world, that is, you know, celebrated. First, being first to do something is celebrated. In Jesus' world, in his kingdom, it's like, hey, if you want to be first, you're going to be a slave to everybody. You'll be slave to everybody. You've got to go to the bottom of the pile and you've got to be slave to all. So, Willowburn, I want us to think about this, rethink our image of any preconceived ideas that we might have of Jesus and let's let that real understanding of who Jesus is in deep into us, let that real kingdom way into us, deep, deep into us, challenge some of the ways that we think, the ways that we act. Let's, let's operate by the kingdom, which is in many ways is like a completely upside-down way to how this world works. Okay, so I'm going to leave it there and we're going to have communion. But before we do that, I'm, I'm going to go break the bread and I'm going to um, pray. But don't come up um, and take part of that until you spend some time just thinking about what it means to let the true Jesus in and affect and change and challenge any of our preconceived ideas that we might have about anything in life. So let's just open ourselves up, up to the Lord and let's let wherever He convicts us, let's just pray about that and then come up and, um, and take this bread, this meal. Lord, we want to see you. We really do. So much gets in the way, Lord. We're just, we have these little minds that get in our rut of what culture has told us, what we are meant to do, how we're meant to do things. Lord, help us to see the real you clearly. Change us, Lord, to be more like you. Amen.